From the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy, this is the Forgotten Coast Podcast. An insider's look at ground zero of climate change, a chance to preserve the voices of disappearing communities, and a conversation with those working to ensure their survival. I'm your host, Kate Lyon O'Neill, and today we're in Van Cleve, Mississippi. This information is sacred, and it comes to us from all different places. I mean, out of every one, there has to be one, and then a seed. And how fortunate are we to keep this information circulating? The wisdom, the knowledge, from our ancestors and our forefathers and our precious Mother Earth. Information so pure, it still has roots and dirt. Pick a plant. Let it speak to you. Listen. Don't forget to say thank you. Dig in with your root chakra. Allow the rhythm of the plants to unlock you in a place that was hidden until now. It's a new vibration. Another one of those moments to make you say, wow, I did not know that. I'm out here at the Cosmic Poetry Sanctuary in Van Cleve, Mississippi. Land that has been home to artists' people for a very long time. People and opportunities have come and gone on this land for many, many years. Here's some wild forgotten coast history. This area of Mississippi near the Gulf was and still is inhabited by Choctaw people. Then it was colonized and fought over by the Spanish, French, and British for a couple hundred years. Then in the early 1800s, it was its own republic for about 74 days, kid you not. Then an American force came in and demanded the republic cede to American control. The thick pine forests were attractive for industry, and shipbuilding became the major industry in the region. Turpentine, made from those pine trees, was another important product. Enslaved peoples were brought from the Carolinas, and a distinct Creole group of people, mixed indigenous, African, and European ancestry, became the workers that knew and practiced the techniques of turpentine production. These Creoles are artists as people. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've been working on this space for a long time. My family goes back on this land to about 1735 on paper. You know, my native side of my family lives on one side of the creek and um, my African side of my family is on the other side of the creek. And uh, so we had when we first started out here, we had a lot of work to do. You know, I mean, archaeologists call it artifacts, but what people had lived, things people had, you know, um, so we had to clear it out first. I've been working on this space, this space for about, well, about 10 years almost. This place is more than just a home for Artis and his family. The land has brought together the community and visitors like me to learn about foraging and plant medicine. At our foraging events, we have our, we have our usual group of doctors and herbalists and stuff that come out like that. And we have a couple of regulars like that because we get into some really cool conversations. But then we have people who come out, we have a lot of people who are really new at um, discovering like the personalities of plants, people who like, who heard about elderberry and it was like, oh wow, if that plant does that, then what else do plants do? You know, or like me, 
you know, with like, um, well, I have this issue with my stomach and I'm just looking for something else I can eat. You know, what, is there anything natural I can eat? Mm-hmm. Some folks come out here and realize they can eat plantain and they like, they fall in love with it. You know, if you realize they can eat Smilax and fall in love with it. And those aren't things you can buy in the store, but those are right. things you can grow at your house for free. For free. Things that in this area, they want to grow. Exactly. Right. You, you know? don't have to cultivate them. Yeah. Just, they just grow. But, um. Linda Baker is our is uh, who leads our foraging events, and she is an herbalist, and she is the real deal. She's like a rock star in this area. Um, she worked for, Na- for worked for NASA as a chemist for a long time. Oh, that's and, such a cool perspective to bring then to yeah. foraging. Wow. Yeah, and um, and so then she went and she got deep into the. So she has this this really intense background in chemistry, and she has this this plant knowledge. She's she's she teaches. She's amazing. Uh, event foraging event has a theme like sometimes we do we'll deal with um herbs and plants that have to do with grief and trauma sometimes we'll do things about uh digestion energy whatever you know what i'm saying just when you think yeah. you know, mix it up a little bit wow. so people who keep coming out maybe they've seen the same plants they may not know mm-hmm. the uses of the different ones right. right you talk about you know okay it's most common uses for digestive things but it also has an additional use you know in, in an emotional state in a mental state uh-huh huh. uh-huh and one thing that folks one thing that folks really like is the flower essence uh, foraging walk. Oh. We take and we get we get a, get essence from each one of the flowers that we come across out here, and we put it in a in a jar. We did a nearly two hour walk around the land, looking at the various improvements, the growing areas, and most importantly, the wild plants that they cultivate. First on the list was smilax. Um. Let's see if we can find the Smilax. You, you, heard, you know about Smilax, right? Smilax? Mm-hmm. I don't think I do. Oh, man. Smilax is kind of like our mascot. This right here, that right there is Smilax. That vine right there. Yeah. And they, they start out harmless, you know? Oh, but they've got quite a few spikes on them, yeah. Yeah, they start out harmless and soft and flimsy. They're in the asparagus family. And you can eat them, and they're delicious and everything. But then you let them go, and they turn into this right here. Wow. And... Yeah, it's real twisty, and it just grows up and bends around. I imagine once once it's there, it can be kind of difficult to take out. Yeah, yeah. And Smilax is high, very anti-cancer, very medicinal, very anti-cancer. How do you prepare it? Um, you can eat it, yep. or you can um, make tea out of it. Now, some of the natives used to take this and Devil's Walking Stick, Cherokee Rose Vines, the thick ones, and they take them and... and um, pound them in the flour and make yeah. bread out of it. Ain't that something? Oh, it's, yeah. it's so, yeah, just like a little, just looks like a little friendly vine. I do want to taste it, yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. Just eat the top part of it there. Just a little, to- little top, top. Oh. Mmm. Mmm, it's slightly sweet. It's like eating a really tender pea. Mm-hmm. Mmm. Not at all I would have expected. Yeah, and those are good, like, in a stir-fry. I mean, we eat them raw, like, in a salad. I could see that, yeah. Those leaves would be really nice. Mm-hmm. Stir-fry. That's delicious. Yes, I'm happy to munch my way through this tour. Ooh. Absolutely. <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> Smilax was like the most tender spring pea. The sugar snap of your dreams. Harvesting these shoots doesn't affect the roots, so the plant keeps on growing. Okay, so here, uh... The devil's walking stick right here. Oh, yeah. Wow, it looks like an enormous rose vine. Yeah, it is. Look. Yeah. And it goes all the way oh. in there. Oh, it's so tangly. Thing. It's a big thicket. Wow. 
and all over there. It goes all over to the other side to our yoga garden. And it has, I mean, it has so many flowers on it. Back at, um, there was oh, a this is all these rose here. hips. Oh, this rose hips, but the yeah. hips are spiny. Yeah. My goodness, this plant does not want to be messed with. No, huh? And no. we let it go. We, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, a family full of artists. You know, we write poetry and draw and that kind of stuff. And so we come out here and daydream. And um, my, my uh, second oldest daughter, Gabriella, we came up with a story. Mm -hmm. So it's a love story between uh it's a story about smilax smilax is the offspring of the devil's walking stick an elderberry and a devil's walking stick you can see it does whatever the hell it wants to but it doesn't get outside of that space over there because it's attached to elderberry because they're in love so it's a, and they have characters and you know it's a really cool little story but that's the kind of stuff that happens out here in the cosmos sanctuary when you get a bunch of creative folks out here in the woods you know property up on Highway 57. My mm -hmm. grandpa used to own a gas station there back in 1969. Mm. Nobody in the family ever opened up another business here um, after he did because that's just something that folks didn't do. They all figured it would be easier to go to work at Ingalls and make that money as opposed to... What is Ingalls? Ingalls is the ship, shipyard. That's That employs damn near every... Um, I say it employs probably 50% of the men on the in Jackson County that are over the age of 30. People have a tendency to go to Ingalls and work for 30 years and retire and die three years later. And I, don't, I didn't want to do that shit. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Who, I, that's for some folks. It's not me. So our thing is we want to get people back in the idea of putting black-owned businesses on black-owned land. Now, if you look at a, you look at a space like this um, and people would be like, I'm not, you can't put a business down there. Nobody's going to come down there. But it's, it's bull because there was a thriving business on the other side of that house right there. There was a it was a cafe and a laundromat. There was a, another thriving business up on the on the highway there. My mm -hmm. dad, my granddaddy owned, which was a gas station and a, and a, and a car repair shop. Mm -hmm. So you can't. It's like a. It's like you know, and it irritates me to see, um, especially seeing other black folks. As soon as we get a good business idea, get a successful business. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but since everybody knows artists. As we were walking down Van Cleve Road, a car drove by and gave a friendly honk. So I didn't want to scare y'all out of your skins. Artist says during that time that, quote, we feel like we have to run and take it to the center of town and then lease space from somebody when your ass owns land in your own neighborhood, end quote. You know? Right. Is it, it a feeling that the community isn't going to support you enough or that you want to just find like a larger... They just want to make it somewhere else. Yeah, to make it somewhere else. I think that I think that we associate. Well, we we just, in the black community. I associated money with white folks. I associated um, the the big business area to where the the people traffic is going to be with mm. white businesses because that's what people are into. That's what people. That's that's what people do. 
you know you don't have any choice but to put your businesses on your own uh, in your own neighborhood right. and and it's not like other people from other communities didn't know you were there it's not like they didn't come to your neighborhood and support you but that, that's that's kind of a backwards way of thinking but yeah. every time we get something new and hot we got to take it somewhere else and get their affirmation so we're trying to break that um and so that's and we also belong to a food fellowship a food fellowship mississippi food systems fellowship um group of black brown and indigenous farmers throughout the state of mississippi um and we're trying to create a food network of black brown and indigenous farmers to be able to connect with our own folks in our own community um we have a cohort on here on the coast um on the choctaw reservation um in the delta and in the jackson area we share resources we share food we share all kinds of stuff best practices and the goal is to be able to you know go around <laughs> go around white the, the the white folks who own the big grocery stores now and do business with each other because like I said, there's so much stuff that's been lost. And we, we learned through this pandemic that not everybody's going to look out for us. You know, the Choctaw Reservation got hard. Mm. Hard. Mm. They were producing a lot of food, but they got hit really hard. Come to find out that some of their people with, with the Choctaw Fresh program, some of the folks that were living on the reservation couldn't even afford the food they were growing. Because it was so, they had to have all these certifications as far as wow. being organic and stuff. Like Yet another car goes by. Artist says they could only sell their food. That seems that's unfair. The Cosmic Poetry Sanctuary is involved with food production as well. We also uh, participate, we partner with uh, a group called Just Water, um, and we have a two acre lease on an oyster farm. So in uh, October, November, we yeah. have a lot of oysters. And we, so we do like a little workforce training program out here, right here with Just Water, so we can. So we learn how to do all that stuff. We go out there on the boat and we practice and do it in real time. And you know, yeah, it's a it's a cool thing. So this right here is we're gonna um, we have electricity. We have our have our whale right there, and um, we're gonna get creative with some oysters right here. We have a friend who has a food truck, Chef Craig Blackett and Me is his name. He's nice with a sabachi, and we steam oysters. And so we're we do our full moon party. So hopefully at our next full our full moon parties in October, we will introduce our oysters. To and during full moons, we open like poetry and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Artist has also been growing jackfruits, and when I was there, some of the little plants had sprouted. So we just right. We're we're we, you know we're, we're being responsible with our stuff as opposed to trying to. You know, and the responsible thing to do is to be able to pay attention to what you're growing, what you're what you're putting in your food, and and mm -hmm. whenever you tell somebody that it's good for you, that they can take your word for it, and you're telling them the truth. How I got into this uh, so deep into the plants is because um, I de I developed some digestive issues out of the blue, just like, and I think it might be an allergy, some kind of way to corn, because now that I know that since I cut uh, corn syrup out of my diet and corn out of my diet, it's better. So I started to examine what my dinner table looked like. And I was like, damn, well, what did people eat before we went to Walmart? And I had never asked, that my, asked myself that until about maybe six or seven years ago. And so then I started learning about these things and I started finding out you can eat this and that, you know, and I, and, um, and I just kind of went down this rabbit hole. And now I'm, I'm kind of obsessed. I mean, like this, that, that sweet gum right there, you know, I got to where we get to where we brush our teeth with that sometimes, you know, people look at, you know, it's like you wouldn't, the average person would forget about what don't, it's not even plugged into that information. And then also like right now we have a lot of stuff with, um, clean water because water is a big thing for us. Um, uh, because, uh, 
one, we grow stuff. Right. And two, this this is a really old place. And you have information that gets passed down from generation to generation. And sometimes old folks don't want to give up that information. Sometimes old folks can be antisocial just like everybody else. And information miss, might miss a generation. And I know in this community and in other black communities in the area, the information has been has missed people. Mm-hmm. And so there's instances of people who have whales here. We're not on county water or city water or anything like that. Everybody has a whale around here. And there's people who inherited these whales, and they haven't checked on these whales to see if these whales are still pumping clean water. They just automatically assume that since my parents are drinking it, it must be okay. Because they never explain to them about how filters work and how um, mm-hmm. how maintenance works on it and what you do if you have to if you have to do some maintenance on it, you know? So um, us and uh, Hydra House and Just Water, and this, we're partnering with the city of Gautier to um, get out in these communities, these black communities first in, um, in, in North Jackson County. We had our water tested today, as a matter of fact, um, because, you know, and because, because we have concerns, you know, most of people do. You of know? course. Yeah. Yeah. Your yeah. grandparents didn't necessarily have a refinery, you know, down the road that might've poisoned the, uh, yeah. the groundwater. So you got to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm glad you said that like that. Artist's granddaddy was another forward thinker who understood the value of the land. My granddaddy still grew food for a long time, and because he grew so much food, and it's because he maintained his garden so well, that a lot of his his children and grandchildren didn't have to buy a whole bunch of food. He ended up saving a lot of money, and whenever he passed away, we felt the effects of mm. that habit depending on the grocery store. And that was one thing that you know, because now it, you know, went from not food being free, but your bill, your your grocery bill being three times as much without that access to that free food you know so that's what that's like that information man we we get so caught up in trying to what's what's the word i'm looking for trying to assimilate to american culture we forget Mm. about our folks you know we forget about our people sometimes and when i say our people i mean i like our direct people like our bloodline people our neighbors you know and we don't forget if we just forget that we connected we think about we think they're going through their own stuff over there but they're going through the exact same thing prime example you know like um a a solar panel salesman would convince you and me if we live across the street from each other that we have to get you got to get solar panels and you got to get solar panels who the hell says we can't share but that idea never crosses people's minds nowadays when it comes to doing some shit like that with their neighbor and looking up for the entire community. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to get mine because right. I can't trust them. While there's nowhere really like the Cosmic Poetry Sanctuary, and if you know of one, get in touch with me, this arrangement of Black-owned family land is not uncommon in the Gulf South. The road we walked along, Bernie Road, this whole area used to all belong to the family. But there have been some losses over time. Oh, he had, um, oh, well, my great-granddaddy had about 
300 and a little over 300 acres mm -hmm. um, all around here. And all this, this whole entire Bernie Road, you know, my last name is Bernie, this yeah. is Bernie Road. So this is this entire street belonged to the Bernie family. The older folks, the folks who went through the the 40s and the depression and stuff like that, and they, they had folks constantly telling them that you can't own land, you can't own land. So they made it a point to get land because there was a this group telling them they can't. But then in the 60s, that, that kind of talk relaxed. You know, and folks got distracted, and folks started doing some other stuff, and that conversation about how important it is to keep land in your family, they missed that. Mm. You know, that didn't get passed down. My daddy don't get that shit. You know what I'm saying? It's not, he's not slow. He just, it's just, there never was talk of the conversation growing up. And my other family members, they don't pay attention to their land like that. Some folks, the idea of paying taxes, did you know? Well, you didn't know this, because we just met. But my daddy thought that now somebody at the courthouse must have told him this, that once you reach a certain age, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. And so he stopped paying taxes, and that's what he told me. He stopped paying his land taxes, <gasps> and that's what the hell he told me. And I was checking the mail, and I seen this, this notice, final notice for me. What the fuck? Oh, and the folks told me that I didn't have to pay no taxes. Who the fuck gets around paying taxes anymore? But he's so used to being able to rely on that source for good information that he believes whatever the hell they say. The lady from the courthouse told him, of course he's gonna believe that, you know? And, and said, but but he's he refuses to get a smartphone. He doesn't, he's, he's just, that Mississippi shit, they, there's some sort of a pride in being ignorant. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's, a, there's a new family that moved in up the street, um, white family, have a big Confederate flag in their yard. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a that's a that's a big that's a big slap in the face. You know what I'm saying? You move in, you move into the black neighborhood and put up that bullshit, really, bro. You know, but that bothers me. There's another car passing and honking at artists. He says that it bothers him, quote, because that land will never make it back into my family, end quote. There was a sister down the street who um, got strung out on drugs real bad. And she ended up selling like 20 acres of pine trees to some folks who didn't give her 20 acres worth of pine trees money, you know, and let that crack out of, you know? I mean, and in hindsight, the community could have done something. But everybody was like, well, that's not my business. That's not my business. But now everybody's complaining because the land is out of the family, but at the time it wasn't your business. Apparently it was. Either you were afraid or something. If you were afraid, we need to address that fear. Because yeah. that's not cool to let your to let your family member, your cousin, your friend, whoever, go through that shit by them, to go through that mm -hmm. around an addiction. Mm -hmm. So we're standing here on Bernie Road within view of a newly constructed house with a nicely mowed lawn. It wouldn't look out of place in a lot of areas of the South. But compared to the Cosmic Poetry Sanctuary, which is wild and just full of so many different forms of life, this lot and house that we're looking at now, it's just grass and a house. And that particular space right there was, my, was our family reunion site for 150-something years until somebody in the family didn't pay their, land, pay, pay their taxes on the land. 
And instead of coming to somebody else in the family and saying, hey, I need some help on this because it's about the bank's about to get it. You know what I'm saying? Don't know if it was pride. Mm. Don't know if it was being vindictive. Mm. Don't know what the hell was going on, but they didn't say a word. Next thing we know, there's a REMAX sign up there and saying, Colwell Banker's uncle. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And so then, two weeks after that or so, these people are moving in up here. You know? And now we know them. That oak tree was one of the oak trees they cut down. Oak trees they cut down uh. to put their to clear off that space where it used to be on our family reunion t-shirts. That was like our family tree. I'm related to every black person in Jackson County because for a long time, the folks who were in, black folks who were in Jackson County, if they left this place were subject to the laws of the rest of the Confederacy and nobody wanted to be a fucking slave. So they stayed here and it was a form of slavery, but just not like the outsides. I don't know what you know about Creoles, does that word mean more than food to you? Uh, Creoles were many things. At first, it meant people of the colonizing nations of the Americas who were born in the Americas instead of Europe. But it, that term also came to mean people who had some sort of mixture of indigenous, African, and European ancestry who couldn't say one way or the other how they became or who or what their ancestors were, but they could say that they weren't enslaved. This idea of a racial binary, black or white, it did exist in some places of the South, but in the Gulf Coast, people are all kinds of things. The Code Noir, the French slave code, it set the way for plantation agriculture and a penal code based around sugar, and it also established the rights of free people of color, Creole people became a third race, one that filled the gap between slave labor and white aristocracy and free people. If a Creole person could develop a skilled trade, they might be able to establish a very comfortable living for their family. The Creoles of Jackson County, of Van Cleve, were skilled with turpentine manufacturing. This was their industry that kept them out of slavery. But as for the land ownership... That's a weird quirk of history. Because they needed to build folks' houses when they came in, and so they would hire um, these black folks and indigenous folks, which were pretty much the same people, you know, um, to hire to build these people's houses and things like that. Mm. Or, um, and in exchange for that, they had a chance to keep their freedom. They didn't they have, didn't have a chance to own land? Um, we got oh. the land ownership because, like I told you, my great grandpa, my great my great-grandpa was biracial which meant oh. that my great-great-grandpa is white and, um, okay all right well my family was been able to keep this land because of he looked white mm. and he treated his black family like he was a white man he, he hardly associated with him when he rode through town he didn't get off his horse um and this was his like his first cousins and shit he treated like this um but everybody in the county assumed that he was white because he lived on the other side of the creek. So that's how we got the land through that. And that's why both sides of my family were on either side of the creek, you know. So we didn't, so we didn't get the land through uh, the black folks, got the land through my white uh, great-great-granddaddy. And so then I'm, and he didn't mean for that to happen. My white great-great-granddaddy did not mean for his black offspring to end up with the family, with the land ever. But he just happened to pass away and, um, some and I think it maybe maybe his um, his son or uh, yeah I think 
was able to um, get some land to his sister, Miss Jinx Galloway, um, and she was able to keep the land and distribute the land. So, and like in a lot of other black families, uh, the the head of the black household or the family was not a man; it was a woman because the man was a white man who didn't give a damn about his black offspring. She inherited it from mm-hmm. his estate somehow, mm-hmm. right, and then was able to redistribute it to mm-hmm. other black people and have a community that way. Yeah, all of her offspring pretty much. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, cool instead of a sense of how did this land come to be? Mm-hmm. It's all it's all twisted. But yeah. as far as like, this is how we got to this land? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, some white guy made a mistake in his will one time. Mm-hmm. And instead of us just getting nothing, we got a whole bunch of land out of it. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> it's, and it's, I mean, it's, and it's stories like that all throughout the throughout these black communities around here. There's no, there's no, and even nowadays, man, there's really no stories of any um, of any old black men, um, because whenever you have old white men in charge, the last thing they want next to them is another is a, is a black man. When you have old white racist men, they'll have a black woman next to them. And so then that's how a lot of the land and wealth and stuff got into the black community because of the women. Uh, My grandma was real, real fair-skinned. She played basketball at two white high schools because she could pass. She had a mosquito right there. She could pass. Yeah. You know? Wow. And, you know, it's just those things. She had a chance to do things with her education and get into folks other places that people hopes didn't get because of her complexion, you know? And, you know, she's fair skin, hazel eyes, and and not every, and in passing, she'd do her hair a certain way, straighten it out, and they couldn't tell that she was a, a black woman right off, you know? Or they or they could say that, oh, well, she's got people from Spain. Artist has that rare trait where he just does what he knows is right, regardless of what the community thinks. Without the community's help or support, if need be, He changes the perspective of so many people who intentionally come to the Cosmic Poetry Sanctuary. But does that change radiate from the place itself? Is he just attracting people who are already open-minded and willing to learn and change? Look, I've painted a pretty rosy picture of Mississippi and Jackson County during this episode, but I'll be shattering a lot of that in the next part. Artist's work is amazing. The attitudes and mindsets that he is surrounded by out here, though, they aren't always like his. People are so stuck on what things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And we're afraid to imagine what things could be, mm-hmm. even if what it could be could be a little bit better. Yeah. Sometimes, though, when you're just trying to survive the daily, though, it, it really is hard to imagine doing something different. When mm-hmm. it's like, I know I have to do these things to live. If you try doing something differently... You know, that's a big risk. Yeah. It's a big risk trying to do something different yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And when there's no one around you doing it, and when it feels like, oh, we will, we've been doing this forever, it's hard. Yeah. But then, you know, putting things in perspective, though, like someone was talking about, um, oh, we've been getting power from the power companies for forever. I'm like, actually, no. I mean, it, it was within living memory that, you know, people just gathered wood and burned that. Like, yeah. all it was was like, do you have access to land or are you buying it from a neighbor who has wood? Yeah. This is a recent thing. It's within, you know, 30, like 80 years or whatever. It's mm-hmm. not forever. Yeah. But, right, putting it in perspective, it's like, no, actually, we were in a phase of that, but we can go to something different. Yeah. Looking to history to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. Has it actually been forever? I mean, maybe for some things. But for a lot of them, no. It's just your grandparents don't remember anything different. Yeah. 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 
and that's fine i do a lot of things different from my grandparents i'm okay with that yeah yeah <laughs> we have to and we can't yeah. we can't worry about their you know and I, I know it's like we you know it's 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 nice to entertain the older folks um time their lack of social evolution for lack of better words you know what i'm saying mm. but we shouldn't we should we should we we, we can't no, we're not beholden to their experiences and their and their expectations. The Forgotten Coast is a production of the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy in conjunction with the Red, Black, and Green New Deal and Gulf South for a Green New Deal. Thank you so much to today's guest, artist Bernie, at the Cosmic Poetry Sanctuary. Special shout out to Karina for the delicious fig leaf tea. I'm your host, Kate Lyon O'Neill. They edited, produced and research this episode. You can find more about our podcast at theforgottencoastpodcast.com.